I'm a Captain Crunch addict. <laughs> I I we laugh, but like I do have an addiction to Captain Crunch. It's like okay. when I when I do have a cheat day or cheat meal, it's going to be Captain Crunch. It's gotcha. It's gonna be oops berries. Not all berries, but like the Captain Crunch berries, the combination of the um corn cereal and the mm-hmm. and the like really sweet puffs. Mm-hmm. So I was like, you know what? I don't want to drink pus. So <laughs> I'm gonna um I'm gonna have almond milk, which is equally as destructive <laughs> for the environment. I'm like, I'm gonna pick the equally as destructive, uh, but kind of better for me one. And yeah, eventually uh, I'll switch to oat milk because I can make that myself. Do you know how easy it is to make oat milk? No, but I'm curious. Well, I don't. I feel like I interrupted you. I want to hear the end of your story, but I will tell you how easy it is to make oat milk. Okay. Oh my gosh. I'm wait. I'm telling my story and simultaneously waiting with bated breath. <laughs> I'll um, tell your story first, and then. So it's super anticlimactic. So basically, I got the vanilla sweetened almond milk. Mm-hmm. Simply truth one from Kroger because it was on sale. And it was kind of lit. It was kind of like I was I don't know. I, I'm I think this is nihilism for me and it's in it's like truest form is it tasted really good, but I was also like, why don't I just put water in my cereal? Then there's no calories. <laughs> like that's basically the equivalent of me eating a salad and negative calories because I'm chewing the lettuce. Like that's almost like if I put water in my cereal, then I'm basically mm-hmm. the work I'm doing to chew the cereal is burning those calories, right? I mean, maybe, but also it's going to taste terrible. Yeah, it's not going to be like, cute. you could do it, but at what cost? Oh, and okay, so this is literally, do you have a blender at home? Um, I, th- I think so. I've seen things that look like blenders, but I've never <laughs> used them. <laughs> Rob has said before, hey, Jace, I'm going to blend this, but you, you weren't sure if he was talking about maybe um, some bronzer or a smoothie. You know, it really could go either way. It could go either way, depending on like the hour and the day. Well, we have mm-hmm. a food processor and I know that we I think we have a blender in storage somewhere. Well, literally all you need to make oat milk is a quarter cup of oats and a cup of water. And you can add a little bit of salt, like a tiny little bit of salt, and you blend it for 30 seconds. And then you just strain the oats out. And like I I do um, cheesecloth, like a uh, rubber banded over a mason jar and just like pour it through. And then you just kind of squeeze the rest of it out of the oats. And then you can use the leftover oats to make um, oatmeal cookies or other things or you can Ooh. put it in smoothies or whatever. Um, but yeah, that's literally how easy it is to make oat milk. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to this episode of Read This Way. My name is Jace Wingate, and this is... Renee Pogue. That's me. That's her. We are two queer beings on this planet in Atlanta Pride Month. Mm-hmm. And, you know, breathing air is really good for you, and it it's keeps you best. alive. Um, mm-hmm. You should be drinking water. Water is also a source of life. We're just here trying to be human beings and moderately succeeding. God, remember 
Remember in Signs when they're at the birthday party? It's the birthday party in Mexico and the alien walks by the window and everyone screams. That's like one of my favorite moments from that movie. <laughs> uh, I, uh, the main thing I remember from that movie is just like the little girl leaving glasses of water everywhere. Because Kat does the same thing. Really? Putting Kat on blast. In preparation for the aliens? I think it's a subconscious thing, yeah. I do that too, but typically it's um, because I just forgot it. <laughs> I just forgot the cup, and I'm probably going to finish that water later. Oh, see, see in our, our house, no. Like, once it's set out overnight, it's got dust cooties. So it just Oh, see, down. that's my immunity. That's how I keep my immune system up. Not by vitamins, but by natural. By naturally occurring germs, by letting that exist in the open air. Mm-hmm. Oh, I do the same thing. I'm a I'm a trash person, and that's why my immune system is so good. God, we're so lucky. We're so blessed mm-hmm. to be Americans. Speaking of being an American, um, we have an election coming up. Uh, by the time this episode airs, we will be. It depends on how you look at it, because like sometimes I the day that. I'm actually living. I don't count as another day since it's the world only spins forward. So mm-hmm. um, if you're not like me and a normal person, we will be five days away from the election. If you are like me and don't consider the the day um, the, the day of an actual numbered day, then we will be four days away from the election. So if you are currently listening to this podcast, I hope that you are exercising your right and freedom to vote and choose who you believe your leader should be and um, are choosing a leader that actually works for democracy and works for you as a human person in America right now and doesn't just spew conspiracy theories and act like a fucking dumpster fire of a shithole piece of fuckery. Motherfucker. <laughs> Um, subscribe, welcome, welcome back to our channel. Subscribe to our podcast. Um, also this is our, um, super spoopy Halloween episode. Mm -hmm. My favorite holiday. My favorite fucking holiday. You know, it's two witches running a podcast. Mm -hmm. It's just, it feels so good to, in some way, like other than like our cute rituals that we'll do, it feels good to kind of like give something to the holiday to celebrate, like put something out into the universe for everyone to enjoy along with us. We appreciate you joining us for this super spoopy Halloween episode. If you have any fun rituals you're going to do tonight, shoot us an email and let us know what they are. I'm going to be burning shit. I'm probably going to do a, a water ritual again because those are my fave. I'm about my water rituals. What a brilliant idea. Shoot us an email. Uh, you can reach us at readthiswayperiodpodcast at gmail.com. Um, mm-hmm. That handle is also the same for our Instagram. So feel free to shoot us a direct message, comment on any of our pictures, letting us know your rituals. Uh, we would love to hear them and practice them ourselves. I'm always up for learning new stuff. Me too. I love learning. <laughs> um <laughs> So if, the, if this is your first time joining us for the Read This Way podcast, I'll give you um, my crash dummy crash course version of what this podcast is. Uh, Renee and I basically 
are a commentary podcast surrounding uh, comic books. And basically, we will review um, the plot. We're both literary-based, so it's going to be much more of a literary exploration. If we're very moved by the art, then kind of the art will become effervescent in the conversation. But, you know, we're just two Judys uh, shooting the shit about a comic book that we were like, should we read this? Shrug, sure. I'm interested. <laughs> and that's that's how we got here. That's how we came to be. And that's, that's how, how we came we... to be. Be in your ear. The primordial goop that came to be this podcast. Mm-hmm. Today, we are going to be covering Black Hole by Charles Burns. And Renee, if you would like, I would love to pass the baton to you if you want to give a brief synopsis. So basically, Black Hole takes place in the mid-1970s in suburban Seattle. So all of our main characters are teenagers, I think. We see there's a few college kids and we see somebody's parents once, but we're focused on these teenagers and them growing into adulthood with the backdrop of this strange sexually transmitted disease that causes these strange mutations and transformations of their bodies. And we don't know what necessarily causes it. We only know how it's transmitted. And underneath that undercurrent, you also have people starting to go missing and these strange murders that... So it's very... There's a lot going on. And we have our two main narrators throughout the story who give their own side of what's going on. And I talk, we'll talk about it a little bit, but they present it in very different ways, I think, and gives a great overall idea of their experience living with this disease during an already transitional time in their life. I think that's beautiful. And I think that you did an excellent job of piquing their interests without giving mm-hmm. everything away. I did take, I took a lot of notes. And then I think I, it, what's interesting about a piece like Black Hole is that it's kind of like parts stick out to me, but it's, over it's it's overall what black hole leaves me with rather than like certain parts stuck with me like like when we did when we covered um at the mountains of madness yes there were moments that i'm like oh that's insane oh that's wild but with this one it's like it's such a slow burn but not a slow burn what's the word i'm looking for it's so it's thoughtful it's like once you put the book down that's when the book that's when the um story starts doing its work on you mm-hmm. like like oh I, I sit with it for a little bit i'm like oh that's what that was about oh that's why i was feeling this way while reading it yes i think that's i think that's definitely true i feel like it does that um of course there there are lots of things that once we even even while i was editing the episodes for at the mountains of madness there were things that I was like, oh, shoot, we should have talked about this. We should have talked about this. There are definitely – it definitely leaves you with something. But for this one, I think – I mean, as opposed, you know, um, not that you and I had to deal with a plague when we were teenagers. But I think the way it talks about the teenage experience is something that you can so easily relate to. So there's a lot – that still weighs on you even after you finish the story. And like everyone's been a, everyone has gone through high school. 
unless you haven't yet or you're still in high school, like everyone has had a coming of age experience of some sort. So it is quite mm-hmm. universal. This idea of like finding your place now, uh, it's so timely because it's finding your place amidst a pandemic. Oh, shit. And I think what's interesting too is it is it plays upon that us versus them mentality so mm-hmm. well i never so i when i was in high school i was so i was flying so under the radar renee that i never did anything like that i never partied hard i never drank i never did drugs until i went to college so it's always i've always had kind of this outsider looking in perspective on literature that kind of does cover that high school level of like burnout, high school um, in Newey. Like I, I do have that longing for escape. I experienced that when I was younger, but I never had like, I never had that exploration amongst other people my age until mm-hmm. I went to college. Yeah, I would say I really didn't until I was in college either. I was very much like, I think a lot of queer people kind of hide in the church, so to speak. They like, do. Um, I did. Like, yeah, I did too. Choir practice, honey. Yes. I think that's like the thing where you can't necessarily express yourself the way you see other people doing it. So you throw yourself into activities and accomplishments to try and carve a space for yourself. And then you go to college and it's like, oh, fuck. It's different now. <laughs> I don't have the watchful eyes over me anymore. I can relax a little bit. And I think that's where, I don't want to say universally, but in my personal experience and the experience of queer people I've met, um, that is where a lot of queer people blossom is during college or during post high school experience. Do you find it so, I, I find it so interesting that like, the book treats high schoolers as like trash. <laughs> did you did you feel that though? I it doesn't Charles Burns does not exclusively say that these kids are trash, but it's I feel as though, and that might be me, that might again be my own personal opinion infiltrating the reading of it. But it just feels as though the kids, regardless of if you have this mysterious illness or not. When I was in high school, everyone was trash, but but exclusively if you were gay, you were treated like as extra trash. I think that's it's so good he represents that way cuz honestly like as somebody who's almost two decades removed from high school, high schoolers are trash. Like high school is a trash existence. Everybody is shitty, everybody is figuring out who they are, everybody is figuring out what they want to do. And you don't have that empathy yet for others that you I don't think you truly attain that until you're in your like 20s, you know, so there's not you're struggling and you're struggling. So you're struggling so much that you don't care about anybody else's struggle, you know. Well, and like, that's such a great point. So it's when Chris and Keith and in our opening moment of Black Hole, Keith is cutting open the frog and of course we're already laying on these like uh gender roles that the men Mm -hmm. are just trying to like be super fucking cool and like dissect the frogs and be tough and the girls are like being squeamish which i would be squeamish too like no judgment it's the moment that keith passes out and then 
he wakes up and it, I love, I think, I think he does such a great job um, illustrating this. It's everyone standing around staring at him mm-hmm. and, and you see the perspective of him looking up into their faces and everyone's face is grotesque and they're laughing and it's just so repulsive and so disgusting. It makes me mad. I like get mad at it because I know, <laughs> I know these kids, like I know these people, I know, I know these people in high school and I knew who would do this and they're, shitty fucking republicans now (laughs) (laughs) i really do sidebar i'm sorry listeners you're probably tired of my political ass but like i'm sorry right now if you didn't develop empathy you're a fucking republican in my mind sorry Mm -hmm. not sorry like if you don't want to build a world that's that's good for everybody and not just yourself like i think i really do think that's the difference it really is the difference if you're a Republican, you're like, I want the best world possible for me and my family. And if you're a progressive, then, or, you know, I don't even want to say Democrat, but progressive. If you're a progressive, you're, you want to build a better world for everybody. Yes. Speaking of just like grotesque, I did enjoy, of course, to me, maybe it's just me, but I, nobody in the story except maybe Eliza is drawn to be attractive. And that might just be my own subjective way of looking at it. But, and also I know, I understand part of it is the time period. Like I feel, I feel we're in a similar kind of wavy period because, you know, the mid to late seventies, you kind of, you're not quite like disco is dying and, you know, bands like CCR are kind of, becoming irrelevant but you're not quite at the level of like post-punk and new wave yet so you're in a very wavy area as far as culture goes and when I was looking at this I was like oh my god all their haircuts are stupid all their bangs look stupid it's very different from like if you watch uh Riverdale or going back One Tree Hill or even like Gossip Girl these shows that are about teenagers and every teenager in it is just amazingly stylish. And I liked that in this representation, they all looked like teenagers. They all dress stupid. They have stupid hair. Some of them have acne and they look like young kids. They and don't look they smell like... bad. Yeah. Yeah. They smell gross. The, the the sleeve picture too where you see like the you if you look at the front you'll you'll see the yearbook pictures mm-hmm. and then if you flip to the back you see them of course infected yes I thought it was a great touch and I'm like you look bad in both like sorry queen mm-hmm. like of course no one looks good in a picture day photo right I don't think I ever had one that I thought I looked particularly good in but it's interesting that he he set this in the time period he was a teenager in the area where he was a teenager. So obviously like I'm not saying it's autobiographical in any sort of way, but I think there is that aspect to it because a lot of, a lot of this book is just kind of meandering from one situation to another, especially when you're following Keith's narrative, like Keith doesn't really have a thread to follow until you're three quarters of the way through the book. The way the two narratives 
were presented was very interesting to me because Chris is taking you on a mostly linear retelling of her story. Mm-hmm. Like once she takes over the narrative, she it's told somewhat in flashback, but you find out her story in a progression that makes sense. And I think when Keith has the narrative, it's a lot more meandering. The second scene we see where they're walking through the woods and he finds, we don't know it's Chris's skin yet, but we see later that it is. And it it's strange because are we to assume that in that first scene that you were just talking about, that she has already been infected? Or is that something that happens before she's infected. That's such a great point. I'm like thinking about it. I would assume she was infected already. Like there's a scene, I guess it's the first time she has her narrative where she's talking about in flashback where she's in the bathroom. Oh no, it's post that because it's after every, it's after everybody sees because she goes nearly skinny dipping. And then she hears the girls in the bathroom talking about her. And she has that that thought process of how are they able to still go throughout their day-to-day and not have to think about this. And she has that struggle of, I look normal, but I'm not normal. And I think that is where his narrative picks up at the beginning. Because he talks about how quiet she is and how she's not really saying anything. So I feel like to me it makes sense following that scene where she's clearly very troubled. So she's telling so she's already in the tent. That mm-hmm. means she's already infected, left her home. And we can assume at this time, since she's in the tent, it's possible that Rob Rob. Yeah, it's possible that Rob has already died. Yeah, that Rob's already been killed. Oh, sorry. Spoiler for readers. Um, so I, w- so then that means Keith's narrative is weird too. That we're getting some of his from memory as well. Mm-hmm. I would assume that we we pick up with Chris before Keith invites her to come stay in the house that he's house sitting for. Chris's narrative starts about right after she gets infected. Like I think that first scene where she's skinny dips. And finds out that she's infected. Because yeah, when, so she, when she's when we talking first, in retrospect, right? Yeah. Well, when we first meet her, she doesn't know she's infected. She just knows that she had unprotected sex with somebody who was. But she doesn't know yet that she has the mutation. And I noticed when I was reading it that the kind the flashbacks, their borders are all wavy. And when they're in the present, the borders are straight. You're so, oh, wow, you're right. This book plays so much with the timeline. I would say up until about, up until about 70% of the way through when Chris and Keith's narratives finally merge together, it is difficult to place yourself where the story is happening as it's jumping back and forth between the two narrators. They're constantly drinking. They're constantly doing drugs. So, like, I feel mm-hmm. like that kind of plays well into that warped narrative. When Keith fucking comes upon the like severed arm, so fucked up. So fucked up, but has no reaction. That was a very powerful moment for me because it, it's that idea that he's like so, he's on like another planet. 
that he can come upon yes. a severed arm and just be like, oh, that's a part of this. Like, oh, that's not bad. He comes across a, a woman's entire skin and he's, and he doesn't tell his friends. When I was much younger than the characters in this story, um, my parents' house backed up to the woods and my brother and our friends were constantly wandering through the woods. And if we had ever, ever found a finger, like it would have been a thing. It wouldn't it wouldn't have just been like, oh, mm-hmm. Scootily doo, let's go back. Like, I mean, I guess I understand that he's definitely high most of the time. And, you know, they don't just take marijuana, they drop acid and I think they do PCP at one point. So very drug addled brain. But it's it's difficult to just be like, oh, yeah, we'll just walk away from the severed arm. My question is, before we get back to the arm, how long has this disease, this plague been running through suburban Seattle? In the description, it says it's descended upon. So it's new, you know, reminiscent of like a grid in the way that like. It's easier to kick your child out because of what's wrong with them or what you perceive to be wrong with them rather than deal with it and help them. It's easier for your child to go missing and you just say that they ran away from home rather than deal with the actual like your your downfall as a parent of not explaining like what happens when you have sex. Exactly. And it's it's frustrating during Chris's narrative because I think later in the book she talks about it some, but she really just kind of escapes and doesn't give her parents a chance to accept it because she's afraid of what they might say, even though when she thinks about it and realizes it, her parents probably would have been fine with it. Like, But other parents have freaked out, so she assumes her parents will as well. What does she say when she like runs away? She, she says her mom would probably welcome her back. Uh, make all of her favorite foods. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's. I think it's. I think that's poignant that there's like this absence of adult narrative. Like even when that teacher is standing over Keith in that opening moment and is like, "Give him some space. Give him some space." Doesn't stop these kids making fun of him. You know, calling him a pussy for falling for passing out, calling him weak. Like never stops it. And it's who who actually is in power here? Is it the child or the like adult? Mm-hmm. Like what what lessons are we supposed to learn in adolescence by ourselves versus what lessons should adults teach us so that we don't have to learn things the hard way? I guess the fact that you have all of these teenagers, now some of them young adults who are living in the woods and you know there's no way that the adults in this town don't know about it, but none of them are doing anything about it. Oh, and they go to the but they go to the store. That's the thing too is like they're not just off the grid. Like they're going to the mm-hmm. store, they're being seen and they're being ridiculed. You know, the uh, not to go too far ahead, but like the KFC scene. Mhm. And that's when we find out how it's transmitted. Can we trust that? True, because we don't know. Because he doesn't know. Yeah. You know, he can only assume that it's through unless that's how he got it. Was he didn't even mm-hmm. like what a what a, what a fucking shitty way to get this is you just made out with someone. Yeah. That would be the worst because um, Dave's already pretty fucking lame. Well, what a shithead. 
spoiler alert. I mean, not too much of a spoiler. I think you figured out pretty easily that he's kind of a shithead, but. Yeah, and a psycho, like beyond what he ends up doing, but like a stalker psycho. Yeah, I think you figure out he's a, he's a stalker pretty quickly. This accepted suffering, like, again, the backdrop of like this plague that's uh, descended upon suburban Seattle. And it's not that that the story is actually about. That's not the interruption of stasis. It's that there's a murderer, right? I mean, obviously, if you do happen to get this disease, you are ostracized. But there's also that thing that's happening that they're not really talking about, which is that people are dying. But the people who are dying, because they're a member members of this ostracized group, they are the less dead. Mm-hmm. So they're missing and their friends don't know what happened to them. But if they go to the police, the police aren't exactly going to investigate it. No, it's it's the better off dead mentality. It's very it's very Reagan era. You know, it's it's a their problem. They shouldn't have done what they did. Um, it's an abomination. Which ties perfectly into what I think is is there so many parallels in this story between this mysterious disease and the AIDS crisis. Mm-hmm. And I honestly can't tell if it's intentional or not or if I just view things through a queer lens. Basically, Charles Burns said that the mutations were a metaphor for adolescence, sexual awakening, and the transition into adulthood. But this weird disease shows up around the same time as AIDS did. It's transmitted sexually, and those with the disease are socially stigmatized for it. Like you said, like they're very much blamed for their problems. Like it's their fault they have this. And it doesn't matter what your social standing was before you became infected. They're are uh, people who used to be cool in high school who are living in the woods. There's people who are nerds in high school who are living in the woods. It literally doesn't matter. Once you become infected, you become stigmatized. Although I did make a note that it is weird how many parallels there are, yet every single character in this comic strictly exhibits heterosexual behavior. No gays whatsoever. No gays, no, no bias. But you know what? It came out in 2006, so I can't totally fault Charles Burns for that. It started in 1995. Oh, it did? Yeah, he started writing it in 95, and I think it finished in the early 2000s, like you said. I think this compendium was published around 0506. Okay. But that's one of those things where I, you know, he doesn't talk about it, so maybe it's just me viewing it through that queer lens of, this has so many weird parallels to a crisis our community went through. Absolutely. And I, it, here's my one. This is my critique as well of the book is that I think he does. So all of these things that like we see through this comic book are because he doesn't commit enough to anything in his illustrations mm-hmm. or writing. And I think that's my one big like, issue with it is that I read all of these things that like he's attempting to accomplish through this piece or the, or the elements that are present. And Mm -hmm. I feel like he doesn't lean enough in any direction. And I think that's kind of, I, I I don't want to say cowardly writing, but I think it's a little bit non-committal in any direction. So therefore we can kind of project our own lens onto the writing. It's both brilliant. It's like, it's that weird intersection of, um, brilliant writing 
and also lazy writing in my mind. There's a lot of focus on how these characters adapt after they have been infected. And, you know, me, I want... I want pages describing like exactly what it is. I want to know everything they've done about it. Like it seems very strange that something like this would happen and there wouldn't be any sort of interest scientifically in figuring out what it is, what it does, stuff like that. I think we too have to give credit to the fact that our narrators are in high school, so they don't care. I guess that's true. You do. That is a good point. I'm with you though. I'm like, I want to know more about this. I don't know. I don't want to call it. I don't want to call it brilliant because I think again, it's like when you do write from a place of a newie, the longing for escape, kind of the black hole, the void of being a high schooler, finding your place in society, mm-hmm. and you devote almost three hundred pages to just this like meandering. You have to do something, like something, like something has to happen, and it can't just be like you stole a car. And you drove away or like you went back to the beach that you really loved and then you swim out and you like look up at the stars. And I'm like, sure, it's beautiful, but something more has to happen. Yeah, like there has to be there has to be some sort of suitable end for it. There's because it's so like Keith doesn't change. Keith gets infected and then is like, cute, I'm going to continue living my life. And then witness these things happening and then run away. Yeah, that is one thing that I noticed. And this was one area where I would have preferred more explanation is the mutations themselves are completely random. Mm -hmm. Eliza gets a really cool mutation. Like she has a cool tail, whereas Dave gets a dog face or a lion face. His it's not something he can hide Um, when Keith gets infected when Chris gets infected, it's both something that you can, or um, and Rob as well. It's something you can hide, and you still look normal. Like we talked about before, Chris even has that scene in the bathroom where she's freaking out because, or not necessarily freaking out, but she's coming to terms with the fact that I look different, I am different, I'm a monster, but I still look normal. And I would have really appreciated some sort of explanation for why some people end up looking like extras from The Hills Have Eyes, whereas there were people in the woods where I couldn't even tell what was wrong with them. What's her name? Um, Carla. I fucking loved yeah. Carla. Carla straight up gave me those, like, you know, that scene in Mean Girls when um, she's like, I just wish we could all could bake a cake. And mm-hmm. <laughs> their feelings and eat and just love one another. And Damien shouts, she doesn't even go here. Carla gave <laughs> me those vibes. Carla, Carla's like not infected. She's just like, I like it out here better. You guys are like nicer. To touch on what you said though, Renee, you make a great point. I think that's why I think it does draw a stronger parallel to HIV AIDS. Like why does the HIV virus turn to AIDS? Why do Mm -hmm. some people live long-term without getting their HIV treated? And then suddenly there, but there are people who their, you know, HIV status can turn to AIDS in a matter of weeks or months during the AIDS epidemic. I'm sure you did as well, but I, growing up, I knew quite a few people who were both HIV positive and had AIDS. And it is 
there are people who will become HIV positive and will live with it for the rest of their life and be fine. And then there are people who will be dead in a couple of years. And that's why I think it's a real missed opportunity for him to not discuss that because I feel like that's a, I feel like that is a stronger parallel and that's a stronger metaphor than just saying that it's just sexual awakening. Agreed. I think it has more impact. And I think you, it moves from just like this um, social, you know, this social diorama of sorts where I think it almost becomes more universal if we take it out of Mm -hmm. this like heteronormative, like it's just a bunch of straight teenagers figuring out their um, sexual prowess and shit. And we move it into something that's more, we move it into a more tragic lens Yes. Of, of the of the AIDS crisis, and it's like suddenly it's the meaning becomes so much more deep. We we were able to reflect on that period in time where our government failed. Where is the fucking government in this book? Why is the local government not absolutely working to help these kids? Where are the social rehabilitation programs? Where are the mm-hmm. um? Where's the medical research going on at the Mayo fucking clinic? Like, where are they not making this shit happen? Yeah, why is it just one of those things where – because when we find out – I mean, obviously, we – I think based on the little we know about the disease, we – you can assume that Keith becomes infected. Oh, Keith 100% has it. Yeah, but it's such – it's such a non-scene. Like, it's – it's there and gone. It's a small part of a larger narrative. He's – or a larger monologue he's having at the time where he's just like talking about all these things. And he's like, oh, yeah, and I have these drippy things on my side that I cover up with an ace bandage. It's very strange the way he just doesn't talk about it. And it's not it's not an issue. But it's not an issue for him because it's not something that directly affects the way people treat him. Well, and he talks about how the people who are infected, again, he has this moment of vulnerability around the campfire where he weeps mm-hmm. to these people. It, it all just became too much. And he sits there and he cries and they listen and they're kind and they offer compassion. I, I think it's so beautiful that like in a society that shuns you, you find the resilience to still have kindness and compassion. Mm-hmm. And he feels seen with them. And that's why he opens his heart and his home to them because he's not able to be that way with these other like trash goblins that aren't infected. I don't know. Again, it's like I don't our, – our narrative is so limited that I can't grasp the entirety of what's happening in 1975 suburban Seattle in this comic book. I like I don't even know how – is Liz older? Is Liz in college? I know that there are some people who are like college burnouts who are coming back. Keith's friends are those people. And like is Liz in college? Is Liz still in high school? Her art is beautiful, but like, what does it all mean? I know some of it is based on experiences she had when she first became infected and had to. But she basically, once she gets infected, she does what, you know, most people do. And she goes and lives in the woods and has these terrible sights that are not explained. I want to know who the guy is who's tied to a tree. Because we see that it is something that definitely happened. So is that another situation that's tied to Dave? Is that why she separates herself from that community? Because she realizes his toxic toxicity? 
we don't really find out why she because once she leaves the group, she's completely disconnected from it. And we don't really find out why, except that she just got offered a chance to stay with some college guys. Well, and don't they, so the people around the campfire, don't they mention that people just go missing and they don't explore anymore into it? They're just like, yeah, people, I think it's like on both sides, like either you, someone was at school and they didn't show up the next day and then you never see them again and it's nothing's asked. And I think the same happens Mm -hmm. with like the infected people. They're like, yeah, sometimes people just leave. That's a great plot hole point you bring up. Like was Liz one of Dave's obsessions, Liz saw the signs, left. Is that something that maybe she keeps guarded and she doesn't bring up? Is that is that good writing or is that bad writing? That's always my question. Is it like, am I, because there are things that aren't filled in, does that mean that this writer has done his job in telling the story? Or should I have been told? Because I don't, ex- like, I don't accept that, like, Dave just fucking kills because he's in love with Chris. Like that's not enough for me to justify what happens. Exactly. We need more than that. It's not, it's not enough of a tie up. And then do I think that he has, I mean, is he selfish? Yes. But also do I think that there's this weird level of compassion of like euthanasia for those people who are infected? I think, I think the reason that what he does makes more sense in my mind is because he he kills himself at the end. Yeah. And that is, seems like a cop out. I agree too. God. And then that the brutal way that Rob dies. <gasps> yes. For all the things that are kind of overlooked or like brushed over, it is very fucked up that we see just this brutal murder of Rob. It's so brutal. It's like, and then, oh my God, I forgot about that part too. When, um, when Chris makes out with the mini mouth, oh, I died, it's... Renee. I died a thousand deaths. It's so creepy, but it is a thousand percent a thing a high schooler would do. Yeah, well, and I hate Chris. I hate Chris as a character. I think she's, um, I think she's so selfish. She's incredibly. I was thinking the exact same thing. She's an incredibly selfish person, and it shows from. The very beginning where, to be fair, this terrible thing happens to her, but she immediately makes it about herself. And yeah. she immediately makes it, uh, blows it out of proportion, given how she's basically like in the realm of what we talked about earlier, in the realm of visible mutations, she hits the lottery. Like, as long as you wear clothes, you're fine. And her parents, she could have probably lived with her parents for the rest of the school year and they would have never known. But instead, she just gets it into her head that she has to run away with Rob and they have to do this thing together. And she she blows out of proportion and she romanticizes it and then spirals when Rob isn't there anymore. Well, and she's scared of going to the gyno. She's not afraid that they're going to find out that she's infected. She's afraid that um, they're going to find out she had sex. Also, fuck Rob for being like, she's like, I know, I know. It's like, no, Rob, you say that you are infected. Mm-hmm. Don't put this on her. That pissed me off too. I'm like, no, 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 no. You don't get to say like, you said, I know about it. I know. And so I understood. I'm like, that's manipulative and fucked up, toxic, like masculinity bullshit. And that was the other thing that really tied it to the AIDS crisis for me. The guilt he feels 
when he's like, I would have never knowingly infected you, which, yes, he's a shithead for doing it. That's another thing where you you don't knowingly infect people. And honestly, there's literally like if you know you have it, why aren't you using protection? It doesn't matter if they're like, oh, I know you have it. If you know that there's a chance you will transmit it to this person sexually, why are you not carrying protection? Well, and how is no one pregnant? Which I wonder if that's a I wonder if that's another side effect. It makes you sterile. Like it sterilizes you. Mm, that would be interesting. That'd be interesting. Charles Burns, talk to us about it. Like, I'm sorry, you don't see, you don't like have a mini mouth on your chest and you're like, well, this obviously, like, you know, what you, like, you know what you did to get that mm-hmm. mouth, right? Yeah. You, you're like, oh, there's a very clear difference of, oh, I didn't have sex with this person before. And then, and then the thing that he did like with his girlfriend who had the webbing of the fingers and she's like, mm-hmm. oh, it's because I'm showing now, which we never see her again either. Oh yeah. She briefly gets mentioned. And they talk about how she wraps her hands up in bandages, but that's it. And it's very much implied that Rick is the one who's making all the creepy little talismans. But we know that him and Dave are working together. So I don't know how that necessarily ties in. I would love, I would love to have had more of a scene with Dave and Rick together to discuss what they were doing before Dave kills him and then kills himself. Spoiler alert, readers, although we've mentioned it like five times now, but I just needed to know more about why Dave was doing what he was doing. Because I think if you try and write it off as just he is salty because he was a nerd in high school, I think that's a cop out. Well, and in love with Chris, like again, this obsession, people died before he was obsessed with Chris. Yes. I don't, is that meant to be like, again, society so if society turns its back on you then it's less concerned with how your people die i would have loved to have heard like maybe chris's rejection was the final straw maybe he was obsessed with lana who disappeared and eliza who left and then the rejection from chris for him it was like i will never be loved i've been rejected all these times this is it for me i'm done trying I would have loved that. I would have loved to have just like a little bit of explanation. You know, I don't I don't want to be spoon-fed a narrative, but I do want just a little little bone thrown my way about why this is happening rather than just spending the time tying up a pretty bow for our two narrators. There's no foreshadowing, which is fine. Which is fine. I'm fine with a twist where you find out that, you know, the killer is da-da-da-da. But there needs to be a tiny bit of foreshadowing. Because up until the point that Rob is murdered, there's nothing creepy about Dave besides the way he looks. Yeah. Until he, like, starts going hardcore after Chris, there's no indication Mm-hmm. Well, and, and like, are they cannibals? Is that the thing too? It's like, are they eating human flesh because they can't find enough food? I don't think that's it either. Like, and why would you just leave a fucking arm in the middle of the, like, I like can't even, mm-hmm. I, I can't dissect it. And how, obviously the arm is there for a while because it's there when it's, it's there with before blood. Chris moves into the woods when she is just infected and when 
Keith later goes into the woods because the scene we see it in is before Rob and Chris get together, but then also seemingly much later on when Keith stumbles upon that group. So I don't know. And also, if it's been there so long, why have none of the other people looked for it? It's really not hard to find. The way it's drawn, it's like it was less than like 15 feet away from the fire that they had set up. Yeah. Is it just willful, willful ignorance or is Charles Burns just fucking with us? Does he just want to pay us to pay attention to the boobies? Exactly. And not focus on the other shit that's going on. The terrible bangs. Everyone's terrible, terrible, terrible bangs. Terrible bangs. What do you think the black hole is? I think the black hole is kind of the burnout sensation of being a high schooler. Like, I think he's okay. really at capturing the idea of wandering through life. You're, you're only as good as your last high. It's this idea of trying, like, you're, you're not yet contributing to society, but you're no longer a child. When he does get that house sitting job or he does get that side hustle that he gets stocking shelves, it's it, that's an exploration of it too. Those jobs don't matter, but it, he does. He's you suddenly see this uh, switch does kind of feel as though he's contributing to society, and he does kind of have this more positive outlook. He's no longer lost in the drugs, still doing them, but he he's no longer like lost in this primordial ether that he finds himself in. It's like a contemplative state almost. I would call it. I think that's a good way of describing it. And it is interesting with how we see our two narrators go to very different paths. For Keith, he exits this transitional time period with a compulsion to be a productive member of society. When we last see him, he's talking about building a life with Eliza and getting a job and so she can do her art. And basically, he does all the right steps to flourish into adulthood. With their stolen car. With their stolen car. (laughs) And all the bodies that he left in that fucking house. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Bodies he left and his parents have no idea where he is and he hasn't spoken to his friends in a while, I'm guessing. So, you know, he's taking those steps to be better even if it is at the expense of leaving everything behind whereas when we last see chris she's still no pun intended but she's still very much at sea she still hasn't figured out what her next step is or what she's going to do with her life she's still struggling with reconciling who she is and how that fits into what her future is going to be no i agree but you know what else i would argue to renee Hmm. I would argue at the end of this book, she's the one that's free. Oh, that's very good. She has nothing left to lose. Mm-hmm. Keith has such a paper trail behind him because there's no, he was the one house hitting. So he's going to be the one who has to, who's going to be framed for those murders. Mm-hmm. And like he has the car, they're going to be able to find them with the car. That is very true. So. That's one of those things I always ruin horror movies for myself because. I, at the very end, I'm like, how are they going to get away with not getting charged for these crimes? Spoiler alert for a 30-something-year-old movie. But for me, Predator is uh, a big example of this. If you've ever seen Predator, if you haven't, it's very good. You should watch it. <laughs> but uh, at the very end, when like Arnold Schwarzenegger, spoiler alert, is the only person from his military battalion who is still alive, and he has to go back and report what happened and how do you say 
an alien killed all of the other men. It definitely wasn't me, the only surviving member. And there's a few like slasher fix like that, like after the final girl or final boy or whatever kills the the monster, you know, how do you explain to the police? Yes, I know I'm covered in blood, but I promise I did not kill all of these people. This supernatural entity, which you can't find, is actually what killed them. And I think that's, now that you've mentioned it, it's all I can think about in regards to Keith. Although the fact that he can hide his mutation is very fortuitous because he can just be like, oh, no, I didn't do it. It was probably one of those other mutants. Just look for a mutant. You'll find one. Well, because the only thing that I can really justify it with is that if they go, I mean, Dave has the gun. He shot himself with it. And if they can match Mm -hmm. the bullets to the gun, then Keith doesn't get framed for it. But we've already seen that this is a society that doesn't give a fuck. They're just going to do the minimal work needed to like close that case. And it's Keith. I mean, honestly, if they even care about closing the case, reminder, these are people that society doesn't care about. So I assume unless the homeowners are dead set on an investigation, one probably won't happen. Oh, well, he'll it'll it'll just be attack on because he stole the car. So it's going to be vehicular theft. And then they're going to be like, oh, you probably killed these people, too. So might as well put you Mm -hmm. away for life. Yeah, that's just the easy part. Exactly. I love Liz. Honestly, for me, she is the hero in this story. I agree. I think she is such an example of doing what you need to do to survive. Liz is kind of like what Chris should have been. I don't know. You can you can definitely tell she was written by a man. But yeah. Still, she's just these, this very like wonderful, free spirited person who is, is is she with her mutation. She just kind of accepts it, and she's like, "Oh yeah, this is sorry. I forget that I have this problem that I probably shouldn't show everybody." She's a very like fun, interesting person, and I I enjoyed pretty much every scene she was in. I would have loved to have heard more about her narrative of how she gets out of her shitty situation and seeing her flourishing and happy was fantastic. That to me was definitely a highlight of the story. I agree. And I think too, like you bring up that excellent point of learning, like hearing more about her, how she got out of it. I think that like that speaks volumes as well, that she like doesn't let it. I think the entire book is littered with people who only let their shitty situations fuel their like passiveness, their inability mm-hmm. to escape. And I think she is a shining example of, I'm not going to tell you about this shitty thing that happened to me because it doesn't serve me in this moment. Yeah. I, it happened to me. It's done. And I'm only going to let the good parts of my life shine through right now. It's recognizing this is a shitty situation. I'm not going to let this shitty situation Define be a me. defining part of me. And I'm getting out as soon as I can. Yeah. And I'm progressing. I feel like we covered a lot. And then I also feel like I didn't cover anything. (laughs) (laughs) But that's how the book reads. The true sign of adolescence. (laughs) I've done so much, but have I done anything at all? Our final moments. What's like if you had to if you had to like talk about one more thing in this book, what would it be? The one thing for me was really difficult to read was was Chris's seesawing between wanting to be in her old life but at the same time, not doing anything to further herself. 
Yeah. Because she is this sad, tragic character, but it's her own, it's her, it's not her fault she is infected, but the fact that she does nothing and spends days doing nothing, sleeping all day, reading occasionally, and just has no ambition to do anything but be Rob's girlfriend. And then when that's taken away from her, she's completely aimless. That to me just makes her a horribly tragic character. And it's it's upsetting in this year of our Lord 2020 to see a character who has no identity besides dude she tethered herself to. And once that's gone, she's out to sea. She has no anchor. It's good that, like you said, she in the end, she's truly free. In the end, she embraces the fact that she has nothing and realizes that she's not ready to become a part of regular society yet. But the fact that she recognizes that is what she needs to take that next step to become truly whole again. And you make the great point that like it's very clearly a woman written by a man because she mm-hmm. what makes her so tragic too is that like she's kind of married to her victimhood. Yes. Which I blame on a male writer writing mm-hmm. a woman in the 90s. Like she's not she's not outward presenting outside for on her back this disease so she could still be a functioning member of society but any moment that she has to pull herself out of it she does kind of like progress further into victimhood. Even when Keith sets her up at the house. She realizes it too. I think that might also be a big step for her, although she immediately regresses, that she's like, he's being so nice to me. Why am I being such a bitch? And I think that should have been the moment when the switch went off. But instead, she regresses further and further and further until she has no choice but to either escape and finally find herself or wither. I'm like thinking about it. I'm like, oh, I'm getting sad. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh, I'm so sad. Well, I mean, I guess for her, it's a happy ending. But she doesn't think it's happy. Mm -hmm. Like, like you, I think you read it with the assumption that she's going to drown herself in the ocean. Yes. Which, of course, he doesn't leave us with that. It could be, it could go either way. Mm -hmm. I think it's the symbol of like the people reaching out to her on the beach. Like, do you want a hot dog? We have food. And I think that can in some ways be symbolic of like, just because you come from a shitty town, when you go into the world doesn't mean that every town's going to be shitty. I think that's a really good point. It's her recognizing it as a friendly gesture, but realizing she's not ready for friendly gestures yet. Because before, what really leads her to the situation she's in is she accepts every handout yeah and that gets her in trouble with dave and um her realizing that she has to change the way she acts and presents herself although that sounds weirdly slut shamey and i don't mean it like that (laughs) no because you're not blaming her you're what i think you're blaming is like i think she becomes more cautious because the part of her that like accepted every handout isn't bad. It's that she accepted a handout from the wrong person. And like that in turn, like stunts her as this person who like when given help will take it. I think that's probably my closing thing too, is like Dave. What a shithead. So, such a tragic shithead did not 
was so irrelevant and then selfish. I mean, your self, like his selfishness made him irrelevant to me. I think the difficult thing for young people to realize, and I know you and I are both decently removed from this time period, but high school doesn't matter. It really doesn't. Who you are as a person in high school, unless you're actively being an asshole, doesn't matter. If your high school experience sucked, let it be character building. You know, let that guide you. If people are were assholes to you in high school, grow from it and know that the world is full of people and you will find people in your life who aren't assholes. And you will meet people who are nice to you. There are so many people on this planet that to become a bitter person because of a small group of people is robbing yourself of so much potential joy in life. And I did not intend for this to sound like a lecture, but I guess it just turned into one of old, old lady Renee in her, in her hut in the woods talking to the youth. But you're so, uh, Renee, that's such a great point. Don't let, don't let other people be in control of your life. And don't try to be in control of someone else's life. Stay in your lane. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think that's a good point. And like, you know, I know it. I, I don't think this is universal, but I also think that you see it a lot where hurt people hurt people. And if you just allow yourself to to wallow in the way somebody made you feel when you were 16 years old and everybody was a shithead, you're never going to progress as an adult. No, you'll never grow. You'll never allow yourself to like replace those shitty memories with memories that matter. Mm-hmm. And we see that directly with Dave's character. Every time he introduces himself to a new person, it's always, do you remember me? Yeah. Do, do you recognize me? He's obsessed with these people knowing him or not knowing him. And he's obsessed with the status he had when he was still in high school. And that leads to him being a shitty person. And he like almost in some way, you could argue, he like feels that the plague equalizes. Yes. The playing field in some way. And it doesn't. Unfortunately, that's not how it works. No. Like, and. And he tries to use it as an equalizer by making people scared of him, like having this poor. Oh, to be fair, the guy was an absolute shithead, but you know, to to make this person think that they now have this terrible disease, and whether they do or not, we never find out. But it's it's just an incredibly callous thing to do to somebody. Yeah. To give them something that you know has no cure. You would think that Dave would, or any of these people, there is definitely a marked difference between people in this story who try and still have a life and better themselves. And like you said, become a productive member of society, not necessarily in the puritanical sense, but in the sense of having a life and living. Yeah. Whereas... There are other people who are so stuck in focusing on the bad hand they were dealt that they can't move past it. I think that's it. You nailed it. That's this. That's what we've spent this hour and 30 minutes looking for to say about this <laughs> book. <laughs> is what you just said. 
That's beautiful, Renee. You're right. I guess I want to finish on like, would you recommend this book to someone else? I would, but I would I would recommend it with the stipulation that it's a situation like this, like you and me discussing it, because I wouldn't necessarily want to be like, read this book. I agree with everything in it. I think it's has so many great takeaways. I would be like, read the or read this graphic novel. Let me know what you think of it. Let me know what you get out of it. And, you know, let me know what what you see from a critical standpoint in this graphic novel. I don't know, but would you recommend this to somebody? Would you recommend somebody read Black Hole? I think your point is really, really good. And I think I would recommend it um, under the circumstances that I would be discussing it with someone. Yes. Mm -hmm. If, if I were to just recommend it for like a pastime read, probably not. I think there's so many other really great sci-fi horror comic books out there. And I just don't know that like, Black Hole really satiated what I wanted it to satiate. I think that's my spooky answer. If you're looking for a comic book that captures the unease of going through those later stages of adolescence, Black Hole will fit that completely. If you want to, you know, um, have that like spooky bit, like you said, like the spooky answer, like it's this the creepy thing about black hole is there's so much we there's so much we do know that's given to us by our narrators but there's even more that we don't know because the narrators are teenagers and therefore unreliable they can only tell us what they know and honestly they don't know a whole lot and i don't know if that's like a choice by charles burns or if it's coincidental, but I think it is telling that our our narrators are two people who know the bare minimum of what this is, and that's all they can tell us. I think that's all of my thoughts are out. <laughs> I'm I'm now thoughtless. So anyway, listeners, that is the surreal, unnerving disconcerting graphic novel series by Charles Burns called Black Hole. I suggest you could probably get it from your local library. Um, If you'd like a copy, you can definitely purchase it online. And it's a nice spooky body horror story to get you in the mood for spooky season, which we are always in the mood for, Mm -hmm. but without being uh, needlessly graphic. It's got just the right amount of body horror to make you feel uneasy without making you feel like you're watching an Eli Roth movie. And that's why I would recommend it. If you have read it and you have some thoughts on it or you want to hear us talk more about our thoughts on it, you can always email us, readthisway.podcast at gmail.com or send us a DM at that same name on Instagram. I would be very interested to hear what... Uh, Our readers, our listeners, not readers, our reader (laughs) listeners, our listeners, 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 thought about this particular graphic novel because my wife read this and I, uh, she read it first and I asked uh, what her opinions were on it and all she said was it was creepy and she wasn't sure she would ever want to read it again. So... (laughs) 
<laughs> I would love to hear some other opinions. I hope you have a safe, healthy, and happy Halloween. There is no need to go trick-or-treating. That candy is going to be 70% off at Target in two days. So just wait, and then you can eat your weight in Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. It's what all the smart kids do. Hell yeah. Don't get your candy from strangers. Well, don't get your candy from neighborhood strangers. Get your candy from strangers from at supermarket Target. strangers. Super. <laughs> oh, supermarket strangers sounds like a great album name. It's our new band. Our new band, Supermarket Strangers. I love that. But anyway, guys, we'll see you next time. Not see. You will hear us next time. We'll catch. We'll catch you next time. Catch no. you on. Ooh, bring some seventy slang. Is uh, catch you on the flip side? Is that seventy slang? I'm. I will call it seventy slang. Yes. All right. We will catch you on the flip side. I'm Renee Pogue, and He's I'm Jace Wingate. Oh God, I keep ruining all of this. <laughs> no, it's it's perfect. It's weird because I like pointed at the computer screen when I said it. As if I love see that. Me. Well, they can, Renee. I hate to break it to you, but <laughs> this is Read This Way, the podcast. And we'll talk to you next time, guys. Bye. Talk to you next time. We love you. Bye.